I'm Alex. And I'm Tara. And this is Dream a Little Deeper, a critical retrospective on the Walt Disney Animation Studios films. And today, we're hanging out with some cool mice. It's the Rescuers. The Rescuers is the second feature-length animated film that Walt Disney Productions released in 1977. But before we go into the history behind the movie, I want to talk about the company. If you remember in our last episode, I mentioned that this episode was going to focus more on the history of Walt Disney Productions as a whole. So that's where I'll start today. The company saw a lot of turbulence in the mid-1970s. Really, you could argue this all started after Roy O. Disney died in 1971. But additional upper management changes later on in the 70s didn't help things. Don Tatum resigned as CEO in 1976, but stayed on as chairman of the board. This means Card Walker was promoted to CEO. Tatum would go on to retire in 1980, and Walker would assume the chairman responsibilities then until he retires in 1983. Basically, this isn't really enough time to take a department that's struggling to define its brand and shape it into something. Especially since, as I've emphasized before, their main focus as leaders of the company was to expand the parks. To top all this off, Roy E. Disney resigns as an executive, citing differences with the management, specifically Ron Miller, who was an executive producer at the time. Roy E. stays on the board, but goes on to form a successful stock market investment business. In his resignation, he cites a lot of ominous problems in the company, like, quote, deep and irreconcilable differences with present management, end quote, and says, quote, the creative atmosphere for which the company has so long been famous and on which it prides itself has become stagnant, end quote. He goes on to say that, quote, present management continues to make and remake the same kind of motion picture with less and less critical and box office success, end quote. Roy E. wasn't lying when he mentioned less box office success. While Walt Disney Productions' profitability increased from $40.3 million in 1972 to $74.6 million in 1976, that was largely due to the addition of Walt Disney World. Film revenue was not increasing like park profit was. Film rentals in 1977 were lower than rentals in 1976. Now, normally this wouldn't be too bad, as the company as a whole was doing fairly okay. But Walt Disney Productions was founded on movies and shorts. Filmmaking and animation were Walt's original passions, so executives felt like it was important to make sure the company was still a Hollywood powerhouse. Plus, and I thought it was funny one of my sources included this, the company needed new material for new merchandise and park attractions. Roy E. also mentioned that the creative atmosphere had become stagnant in his resignation letter, which is something the company has been aware of since Walt passed in 1966. This is why, as I mentioned in our last episode, the animation department hired around 20 people out of the CalArts program in the 1970s. The nine old men were, well, getting old, and upper management felt that this also made them out of touch. It becomes apparent that if Disney doesn't bring a new talent to take over, the animation department would die out with the men who helped create it. If you'll remember, Roy O. Disney had some gripes with the artists that CalArts recruited. But as Tom Cito notes, quote, for the hedonistic disco era, they were a well-behaved bunch. But for a sleepy studio whose policy forbidding women to wear pants at work, as only changed in 1977, they were a breath of fresh air, end quote. Each applicant was given two short pencil tests, and if they passed, they would be assigned to a veteran animator, and they would work on production. Now, in order to do this, they had to work out a deal with the union so trainees could work on production, which became a spot of contention between trainees and cleanup artists, as the cleanup artists thought they should move up to be full-time animators first. Also, just so you know how well Disney animators were compensated compared to the rest of the industry, cleanup artists made more than full-time animators at Hanna-Barbera. As we mentioned in the last episode, the teaching and mentorship was rough. 
I know I mentioned Milt's difficulties teaching, but apparently Frank and Ollie were verbally mean when the trainees made mistakes. One trainee was assigned a test scene that was actually a sequence assigned to Milt. Uh, This was a prank, and then Milt saw it, and he exploded and made sure the trainee was not promoted, no matter how much he apologized. Throughout the 1970s, the trade publications talked about this new generation of Disney artists and called them the Nine Young Men. They would soon be given a rather hefty text to work with called The Chronicles of Pryden by Lloyd Alexander. This would go on to become the Disney film The Black Cauldron, but before that happens, they're given a different, easier project to work on, a children's book by Marjorie Sharp. Marjorie Sharp published her book, The Rescuers, in 1959. It's about the Prisoner's Aid Society, an international group of mice that brightens the lives of prisoners. The society learns about a Norwegian prisoner who might die if they don't rescue him. So, Miss Bianca and Bernard, a pantry worker who volunteers for the mission, go to Norway to help. Disney animators worked on an initial treatment of this book in 1962. However, the story centers on a poet who is imprisoned by a totalitarian government in a Siberia-like country. Uh, So Walt shelved the project because he didn't like the political overtones. But fast forward to the 1970s, Don Bluth decides to revive the project, and the studio sees it as a cost-conscious and good training opportunity for the new animators. So while the A team of veteran animators worked on Robin Hood, the B team of trainees were assigned the rescuers as a smaller picture with simpler animation. The team decides to base it on Sharp's third book, Miss Bianca in the Antarctic, an adventure where the mice go to the Arctic. Basically, there's a king penguin that captures a polar bear, so the polar bear puts a note in a bottle and sends it to the Prisoner's Aid Society, and Miss Bianca and Bernard come to help. Veteran animators liked the setting for the trainees because they wouldn't have to worry about adding a ton of details to the picture. They cast Louis Prima to be Louis the Polar Bear, he would sing six songs that were written by Floyd Huddleston, but in 1975, Prima discovered he had a brainstem tumor and had to take care of his health, so he exited the project and animators scrapped those plans. But it wouldn't really come to matter in the long run. Work on Robin Hood wrapped up in 1973, which meant the A-Team began looking for a new project. They wanted to work on an adaptation of Paul Gallico's Scruffy, about the monkeys of Gibraltar during World War II that were threatened by the Nazis. Ken Anderson was spearheading the idea, he was the one who found the book and did most of the pre-production. But unsurprisingly, studio executives didn't go for the idea. They really just didn't want to do anything with World War II. So we see a similar thing happening as we did in the 60s with Chanticleer and the Sword in the Stone, where the veteran animators are told they can't do the project they want to do and are shuffled off to work on the B-film. The five remaining old men, Johnston, Call, Lonsenberry, Reitherman, and Thomas, all worked on this picture along with the n- latest newcomers like Don Bluth, Ron Clements, and Andy Gaskell. And notably, this would be the last joint effort by Johnston, Call, and Thomas. Now remember, the veteran animators are opinionated, to put it lightly. With them hopping on this project, everything turned into a full-scale, traditional production, and veteran animators began to scrap basically everything the B-team worked on. The A-team scrapped the Antarctica plot and decided to take the film in a whole new direction, basing it off Sharp's sequel to The Rescuers, Miss Bianca. It follows Miss Bianca, who is now the chairwoman of the Prisoner's Aid Society. Bernard is the secretary. They learn a girl is being held captive in the Diamond Palace by an abusive woman, the Diamond Duchess, so Bianca gets the other lady mice to help save her. If you're familiar with the Rescuers movie, then this plot probably sounds fairly familiar. Penny was inspired by the character Patience from the novel, Miss Bianca and Bernard are in the novel. Originally, they were going to be married professional detectives, but animators wanted the film to be more romantic, so they kept them unmarried so there was some will-they-won't-they tension. Jimmy McDonald, the voice actor I brought up in one of our earliest episodes, came out of retirement to voice the sound effects for the dragonfly-powered Leafmobile, and the two bloodhounds in the book become alligators in the film. And then there's the villain, the Diamond Duchess. Originally, animators threw around the idea of having Cruella DeVille make another appearance to be the villain of the film. They would update her with 1970s alligator skin fashion. 
there are sketches of Corella dressed in bell-bottom pants with platform heels, an outfit where she wears a dead alligator scarf with an alligator-scaled coat. Uh, I have these photos in our show notes page if you're interested. However, Ollie Johnston didn't want the Rescuers to be a sequel to 101 Dalmatians, so they altered the Diamond Duchess and transformed her into Madame Medusa. Milk Call ended up doing all her character animation. Apparently, Medusa's appearance is based on his wife at the time, um, and after watching some interviews with him, it seems like he didn't like her all that much. I'm just gonna leave that there. Two other interesting history notes. Orville was supposed to be a pigeon, but Ollie Johnston saw a True Life Adventure episode that showed an albatross awkwardly trying to take off and land, and he thought that would be funny to include in the movie. So, Orville was born. Additionally, there was going to be a singing bullfrog voiced by Phil Harris, but that role was eventually cut from the film. Sammy Fain, who wrote music for animated films since the 1950s, wrote the songs for the movie and brought in Carol Connors and Anne Robbins to write a song and a composition to put over the credits. The song was Someone's Waiting For You. Wolfgang Reitherman was so moved by it that he had the three write a new version of the Rescue Aid Society song that Fane initially wrote. Additionally, Connors and Robbins wrote new lyrics to Fane's song, The Need to Be Loved, under Reitherman's direction, and that song went on to be nominated for an Academy Award. Notably, this is the first time since Bambi that the songs are sung as part of the narrative of the film. The characters are not the ones singing. On June 2nd, 1977, The Rescuers premiered as a double feature with the documentary A Tale of Two Critters. It quickly became an immensely popular film, making $48 million in worldwide gross rentals. It was the first time live-action films did worse than an animated film at the box office, which prompted Ron Miller to try and revamp the live-action department. We've talked a bit about it before, about how the live-action movies were just not keeping up with the changing political climate. And really, it's the rescuer's success that leads Ron Miller to greenlight and produce Black Hole, a Star Wars knockoff in 1979. But really, films were just not hitting like they used to. The box office in the 70s was doing poorly until The Rescuers. And just to give you an idea of how much people liked this film, it outgrossed Star Wars in France and became the highest grossing film in West Germany at the time. And to this day, the AFI has The Rescuers listed on its top 10 animated films list. Reviews ranged from decent to the best Disney film in a long time. Some critics, as well as Ollie Johnston and Frank Thomas, say it was Disney's best film since Mary Poppins. Others, like Leonard Malton, said it was the best since 101 Dalmatians, and goes on to say, quote, it carries on the great Disney cartoon tradition of fantasy treatment in its mouse-eyed view of the world. Every scene says, quote, this is an animated cartoon, not an imitation of live action, end quote. He also called it a, quote, watershed in the evolution of Disney animation, end quote. Here are some other reviews. Charles Camplin with the LA Times says, quote, the best feature-length animated film from Disney in a decade or more, the funniest, most inventive, the least self-conscious, the most coherent, and moving from start to finish, and probably most important of all, it is also the most touching in that unique way fantasy has of carrying vibrations of real life and real feeling, end quote. A Variety article said, quote, the best work by Disney animators in many years, restoring the craft to its former glories. In addition, it has a more adventurous approach to color and background stylization than previous Disney efforts have displayed, with a delicate pastel palette used to wide-ranging effect, end quote. Vincent Canby with the New York Times said, quote, It doesn't belong in the same category as the great Disney cartoon features, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Bambi Fantasia, but it's a reminder of a kind of slickly cheerful animated entertainment that has become all but extinct, end quote. Gene Siskel with the Chicago Tribune said, quote, to see any Disney animated film these days is to compare it with Disney classics released 30 or 40 years ago. Judged against Pinocchio, for example, The Rescuers is lightweight indeed. Its themes are forgettable. It's mostly an adventure story. Ollie and Frank said it's their best film without Walt. The 
success of the rescuers was a sign of relief for the animation department. From Walt's death up until this point, the animation department had difficulty redefining its own image and adjusting to corporate change. But this movie made them feel like the animation department could succeed without Walt, and it was an idea conceived and fleshed out without his touch at all. With the success, Walt Disney Productions re-released the movie in 1983 to accompany Mickey's Christmas Carol, and in 1989 to get audiences ready for the sequel movie, The Rescuers Down Under, in 1990. It was also released to home video in 1992, and then was re-released on home video a few more times. But something notable happened with the 1999 home video release. On January 8, 1999, three days after the release, Disney announced a recall of 3.4 million tapes because there was an image of a topless woman in one of the scenes. It was blurry, uh, but you get full boob action. And it came up twice in non-consecutive frames when Miss Bianca and Bernard were riding on Orville's back around New York City. So apparently viewers couldn't see it when the film was released previously because in the original version, the film runs at 24 frames per second, which is too fast to catch. A Disney spokesperson said the pictures were placed on the film during post-production, but the company to this day does not know who put them there or when they did it. The VHS was re-released in March with the images taken out. After two rounds of interviews, Tara and I still had a hard time finding people who could talk at length on The Rescuers, to the point where I asked my roommate Jenna to watch the movie so that I could have some sound on it. Most of our guests who mentioned it, and there weren't many, did so in passing, usually while looking at the list of Disney Animation Studios films without going into much detail. The sound wasn't even compelling enough to make one of my signature smash cuts. I think this clip from Sam Van Haren's interview surmises the general mood toward the movie. And The Rescuers is great. I don't know if that counts as one of the, the it was a 70s movie, but I tend to think about Rescuers Down Under more often, because probably I've seen it more often. I know I've seen it. I'm sure I've seen it. Um, but I don't really have any memories of I can't. I would be hard-pressed to remember uh, a scene or a, even the plot. Even, I've uh, even been able to describe the plot to you about the fact, except for the fact that it's about mice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any sequence actually off the top of my head. So that definitely lowered my expectations going into the film. But I was pleasantly surprised. Like, my summary hot take. Okay, you've never seen this before. No, I haven't. Okay, I want, I want your opinions then. Yes, never seen it before. Um, was pleasantly surprised. Um, I think because I just expected it to be mid, based on, like, you know, just general consensus around it, like, number of interviews we got and just comments and you've been mentioning here and there but i enjoyed it it was one of the movies that i actually like paid attention to the whole time um it's doing some weird things with gender and class uh-huh um which like sat with me oddly um and i don't think it's the strongest vocal performance but i think in terms of the way the story is fleshed out and you know, the, the build of tension and everything. I liked it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that was my take. All in all, like, of all the ones we've seen so far, it's in the top half. And that, okay. even excluding, I think, like, package films, it's still in the top half, so. I think I can meet you there. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's doing some stuff with gender and class and whatnot, but, like, it's not too far outside the realm of what we've seen oh, no. so far. I'd say compared to everything else we've seen, it's actually, like, very mild. And yeah. honestly, to the point where I was like, it's not, it's there. It's not bad, necessarily, but it's there, yeah. you know? It's like, yeah, like, oh, we've got the, we've got the com com role comedy poor folks again. Yep. Great. Um... It could be better, but it could also be a lot worse. Exactly. So, like, generally speaking, I think the thematic stuff is pretty okay. 
minus the minus the, the the racist caricature mice in the UN. That's it's bad. We don't. There's no nothing more to go into it. Just it's bad. Don't do don't do don't do that. You know it's like, bad what, when they have one mouse representing the entire continent of Africa. Yeah. Yeah. But like it's interesting because I think like the people that you see for that brief moment in the lobby were better than the mice. So it's uh-huh. like they were like, oh, because it's mice, we can do this. Because how else can we indicate? where this mouse is from because it's a mouse and it's like well maybe you don't need to yeah just i don't it's it's one of those things that's just like grown like it, you, it's just bad don't do it it's one shot in the movie just show restraint please just let the let the mice be the mice. But again, it's, it's like compared to all the other racist stuff that we've seen, it's another situation where it's there. It's not the worst we've seen, but it's still there. Yeah, it could it could absolutely be a whole lot worse. Yes. But it's still there and it's bad. Tara and I weren't the only ones who were put off by one mouse depicting the entire continent of Africa. Jenna, who we last talked to in our episode on The Jungle Book, gets into it more. One thing I didn't like, though, so as I was um, watching it, like, it's the UN of mice. So um, every single mouse has, like, a nameplate, and they have, like, either an accent or, like, an article of clothing that is very much like, oh, this is the person where they're from. And I think um, even uh, Miss Bianca, I think she is from Hungary, so I think they, like, honor her Hungarian roots. So I think she is from Hungary. Um, and then they have a man who's from German and Germany, and then they have a, like a, a little mouse who's Mexican, and he's really cute. Um, but then they only, but then they have one mouse for Africa, and I was like, that's not how that works. Africa is not a country; it is a continent made up of countries. So, it'd be one thing to have like a United States because you know we are a country of states, but not a country of countries. Africa is a continent of countries. So <laughs> there needed to be more than one mouse. Also, I think Africa might have been the only w- distinct woman mouse that I could remember. And she mm-hmm. had an afro. She was great. She was pretty, pretty gorgeous design. They put effort into it. But they didn't put enough effort into put like what country from Africa she's from. She just represents the whole yeah. continent, which is not how that would work. But, you know taking conflicts out of it that's not how that would work it was the 1970s y'all knew there was more than one country in africa granted there were still like genocides happening and uh, other genocides on the way so but y'all knew there's more than one country in africa in africa Right out of the gate, I thought it was pretty interesting. I thought it was, like, this is the first, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is the first one of these we've had with, like, a legitimate cold open. Oh, I loved that. So, yeah, because I wrote in my notes, first without opening credits to lead it. And then, Uh literally, I wrote a note, and then I wrote an arrow, and I was like, wait, I lied. It's after this sequence. But I think that works. It it doesn't launch directly into it. There's no book. There's Mm -hmm. no nothing. It just goes. And I loved it. Yeah, it's great. I think it's delightful. The opening shot is so eerie just with the color composition, the camera, like the way it slowly moves. Um no one really talks except for the person, you know, yelling in the ha- in the little boat at one point. And mm-hmm. it's just the music is so tense and it's a brief, it's not a long scene, but I think it does so much to set up the emotional stakes, the danger. Like we talk so much about these movies not having real world consequences or we don't really see what the stakes are. But within like the first 30 seconds, we know what the stakes are. Yeah. And then I even liked how, don't get me wrong, I think the camera pans over the um, the stills during the credit sequence we're a bit odd um just in terms of how shaky the camera gotta save, was gotta save money somewhere yeah it was a bit shaky but at the same time i think they paired it well with the music and again it just kind of continued off what that cold open was doing yeah i 
Uh, I don't know how anything could pair well with this song. This song kind that kind that song kind of sucks. That song's bad. I didn't think it was bad. It's it, it it's mid. It is so aggressively mid. All the music in this movie is mid. It's it's wild. Like I have never been more uninterested in music in a movie. Period. Really? Yeah. It's just a whole bunch of nothing. Um, which is a shame coming off of like the opening, which is like really quiet, mm-hmm. like that, that, that like one scene cold open mm-hmm. is really quiet. And like it, it is it is readily apparent as somebody who has seen a good chunk of John Bluth's later directorial work that his fingers were all over this thing uh, in a directing role of some kind, because like this, this feels the most like a like. This feels the most like a Don Bluth movie that we've gotten so far, which makes sense because he's like working his way up the animation rung. But when you put the, like if you put the more serious parts of this movie in conversation with something like An American Tale or All Dogs Go to Heaven yes. or Secret of Nim, like if you begin to detect like a pattern of like Don Bluth likes to take his his stuff very seriously i was gonna and i oh sorry and it it, it, and it and it works really well for something like this Mm -hmm. which i think makes the rescuers pound for pound at this point and what we've talked about the disney movie with just the most malice built into it a hundred percent and it's interesting that you say it's the most bluth most bluth film in disney because i felt while watching it it was so different not like like I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was like, something about this just feels like tonally and performance wise and the way like the plot's been developing. It just feels more mature almost. Uh And when you mentioned Bluth, I immediately was like, Oh, it feels like all dogs go to heaven. Uh huh. It's like, despite the fact that we're dealing with international representatives of the, of the mouse UN. Right. Right. Like it, it, it feels the most realistic of the Disney movies we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like that holds pretty consistently through most of the movie until they get the diamond out. And then it's like, we need to vamp and fill yeah, time. That whole, it comes out of nowhere. Well, They plan it beforehand. So it like, you kind of know what's to expect, but the, like I felt like when she's in the hole, getting the diamond like it's almost like that needed to happen it's almost like what they needed to do was like they talk about the plan you know and what they're gonna do we Mm -hmm. still have the little dragonfly go and he doesn't go all the way because the bats scare him right but they try to do the plan just the three of them medusa catches on it doesn't go to plan so then they go down to the to the hole to get the devil's eye because that feels more like the climax of the film yeah yeah, everything after the the black hole sequence is really just kind of vamping. Mm-hmm. It's like one final Until, Looney Tunes, yeah. you know, big explosions, it ver- yeah. lots it of things very much, happening. It very much feels like we need to hit runtime. Yeah, because it's only like, what, an hour 12? Yeah, it's brief. Yeah. It's in and out. It's not a long movie. No, it rules. Actually, Short, <laughs> shorter movies more, please. Oh no, I agree, a hundred percent. Like it does, it didn't need to be any longer. No, God, I could not imagine a two-hour live-action remake of this. <laughs> Here's fucking hoping we don't get that. Please no, please. Because you know they'd take that shit and stretch it to two thirty. You know they. Yeah, would. they'd give like some. They'd give more of like Penny's backstory. Maybe like we'd have like a Medusa backstory that would lead to like I don't know a Jennifer Lawrence remake. <laughs> Not to put ideas in their head. We can move on. <laughs> no, not to put ideas in their head at all. Of course not. Um, but yes, um, even just like, I felt like going back to like plot of the movie and like how the way the story is and all that and what we've been talking about, just like everything about it felt very well thought out. Like did it? I I think it did. I think compared to explain compared explain to, to me what we've seen so far. I okay. think it's better. Fair. I'm I'm whenever I make like a statement like that, it's in comparison to the films we have seen so far. I'm not saying in the history of capital F film trademark. 
Explain to me why we need an international coalition of mice from all different governments to rescue one child. I mean, that's just the basis of the story. Yeah, and the we're working with a with a wobbly foundation here, right? And so I'm saying, with that foundation, considering everything, <laughs> like you gotta like you can't discount the source material because that's just what they've decided to make the movie off of. So you got to take that into consideration too. Yeah, the source material's stupid. It may be stupid, but with the stupid source material, they did something that I thought was again mid. <laughs> Fair. Fair. But better compared to what we've seen story-wise. Just like, I don't know. It seems like a lot of these movies that we've watched, it definitely, like, I feel like a lot of these Disney films have just been like vignette after vignette after vignette. And they're kind of like tied together with like a small thread. Um, but really, like, the action from one scene doesn't have any consequence major consequence on the next scene so i'm thinking of like robin hood i'm thinking of like i know i winnie the pooh but even though that's like three shorts that they ended up throwing together so i won't really count that you know even like aristocats just about those the cats like hopping around paris you know like yeah the threat of edgar really isn't a thing until like the very end he's still a threat in the background but it's not like every scene is like you know like a trial, a setback, and then they have to propel it forward. You know, whereas with this, it just feels like the whole movie flows and moves together more cohesively. Um, instead of just kind of being like little little shorts thrown together and then that makes a movie. So it feels more like... That's what I mean by like more put together and thrown okay. together. Okay. Even like that you could makes, argue yeah. like Sleeping Beauty or like um, Peter Pan. Like a lot of these movies that we've been seeing so far... You know, it's like, and it may just be because that's how they split up the animation work. Who knows? Like, that's just the mm -hmm. easiest way to do it. But this just feels more like a to get. Yeah. Anyways, I've made my point. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. No, you're you're right there. Uh, and like, I'm on board with the movie. Generally speaking, I just have a hard time getting past. We we got a message in a bottle from one kid in Louisiana, and suddenly we ha we need to get Hungary's opinion on this. <laughs> I don't know. That didn't bother me that much. I was like, I don't know. It's a fictional group of mice. Sure. Yeah. I Honestly, mean, listen, what if it's an international know. group because they wanted Ava Gabor to play Miss Bianca? And then they're like, well, she's not from America. So we can't just we need, have this we need, random. We need the mouse from Hungary. <laughs> mouse from Hungary to hop in. You know, God. unlike because, you know, Duchess, I guess. It worked with her because it's supposed to be set in Paris, and she sounds vaguely European. So, yeah, I guess who would know the difference? Know. It's really the similarity in designs between Duchess and Bianca. Yes, I'm like, you really did just take Duchess and make it a mouse, huh? Yes. Like it's it's like down to body language as well. I'm like, hmm. Disney, you're, you 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 might be onto something at this point. You might be figuring some stuff out about what you can market. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. We talked about the similarities between Miss Bianca and Duchess, but after talking to Jenna, I feel like Miss Bianca is more based on Ava Gabor herself. Here's what she had to say about the actress. Um, and Ava Gabor is Miss B is Miss Bianca, and I love it. Tell us a bit about who she is, like, because I've never heard of her before. So she is um, she's an actress hailing from Budapest, Hungary. Um, and she's like one of like the last of the uh, golden age, I guess, of or maybe the silver age of Hollywood. So like she started acting i want to say in the 50s so maybe i'm even wrong maybe it's the bronze age who knows don't quote me on that um but she's like a broadway person and she's i don't think well no i think she is jewish i think but i know her parents like is her and her mother escaped um, Nazi-occupied Budapest in, in, in the 40s um, mm, okay. and came to America. And she's, like, she was, like, a big humanitarian. And I remember when she died. Like, it was, like, a, like, granted, I was, like, not alive when she died. But I remember, like, people talking about, like, her death 
on like the anniversary of her death and things like that and being like oh this is like a thing like she's like an actual nice person like i I have reference for her in pop culture like not a terrible not a terribly okay i i had to look up who she is yeah like you see her and you like you're like oh okay i know this figure I but, watched Green Acres. I know who this is. Yeah, yeah. Green Acres. She's also Duchess and the Aristocats. So. Mm, okay. And so that's why, like, I was like, oh, I totally know who this is. On the topic of Miss Bianca. Oh. Because I want to kind of go in. I had like a lot of thoughts surrounding her. Okay. First off, I want to start. What an entrance in this movie. Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. Glamorous. I just walked her. I, like, she walked in, and I'm like, you are the moment. Like, nothing else matters. Incredible. Um, But with that being said, kind of how we've talked about how this film, like, does, like, little weird things with, like, gender and class and racism, but it's not, like, the worst that we've seen. I kept going back and forth on like how this movie wants us to feel about Miss Bianca because she is like the adventurous one. She is the one who's going to go out and to help because her maternal instincts are like, Oh no, child in danger must go help. But also like I am down to do this. Right. So then you you see that moment in the beginning and you're like, yeah, go Miss Bianca. And even the chairman's like, well, we've never had a woman go, but like, sure, why not? And you're like, yes, this is great. And then Bernard's like, doesn't say, hey, like, should someone go with her? Or like, hey, I think I should go with her or anything like that. He just says, I don't think she should go. And I was like, sir. Yeah. But then her reaction to that. Uh-huh. Is what tipped me off because she was she did the um Duchess eyes. Uh-huh. You know, or she's like, Oh uh-huh. thank you. And I'm like, girl, girl. Yeah, I, I wrote down um oh, where is it? Uh I wrote that it's it's odd that she finds Bernard's benevolent sexism endearing. Yes. I was like, you the the you're so much better than this, but okay. But then, like, continuing to watch the movie, it's, like, there are so many moments that aren't, I think, as blatantly sexist, but, like, still are sexist. So, like, Bernard just, like, takes over the whole investigation by himself. Uh And, Uh like, okay, sir, you are the janitor, and she has been doing this longer than you. Yeah, you are not qualified for this. But yet the movie is trying to show us that he's the more qualified one in this situation. It's weird, right? Because it pivots at a certain point. It is. Like, it does. I, I noted that, too, because, like, up until that point where it pivots, it's like Bianca's always needing saving that Bernard Bernard's always saving her. Like, she falls off the albatross, and then she falls off, um, I think, the leaf boat as well. And Bernard's like, ah, I gotta save you, whatever. But then there is a moment where it seems like they work more, like, as partners instead of, like, Bernard seemingly always having to jump in and do everything for her while she's just walking around being glamorous and worried that, you know, the seatbelt's gonna wrinkle her dress or whatever. Like, which was a very funny line, but then I was kind of like, like, this is your job? Like, you should be, like, what the heck? Like, so it's like, one, I don't buy that Bernard would be more competent to handle this case than she is just based on no, their backgrounds and i think it's so annoying and dumb that this movie is like trying to convince us that this is okay yeah the head of the mouse security council was like he's the janitor no right like he could he was he barely got that message out of the bottle uh-huh. how are we supposed to believe that he can handle himself and how I, are we I supposed don't. to believe that bianca's the one that needs saving all the time if, also, if you can't climb a ladder that has 13 steps on it you have no business going to devil's bayou Tell me about it. Like, my God. So that made me upset. And then, like, I was thinking about it and kind of, like, you know, how Bianca cares about Penny and, like, is worried about her. But then her overall just kind of, like, free-spirited attitude toward this and how she views these as, like, fun, exotic adventures. Like, at the very end, Uh she's like, adventure, exotic. And so then it just gave me, and I know... Like, again, because the character's from Hungary, it's a little bit different. But, like, rich white woman 
white savior vibes, right? Like uh-huh. being charitable and like, oh, of course, like I'll do this for her. Like, why wouldn't I do this for her? And then like, you know, not actually putting in the work to make sure it happens and happens like ethically and well and everything. Just kind of like wanting to help, but also like just doing the bare minimum because you are so rich and you are so high class that you are so unaware of everything happening in the world. So again, very Duchess and Adelaide from Aristocats, right? Yeah. It it just, it it, it has a very big women be shopping vibe. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And honestly, that makes sense for her character going for Bernard, if I'm being completely honest. like Yeah, fucking useless white dude. Yes. My Ugh. God. And I just, and it, like with that entrance that Bianca had, I was ready. I was like, let's go, Bianca. Let's go. And then this is how the movie treats it. And you're It's like, so funny. She has that entrance. I think the I think the thing that's most important about that entrance is watching all the uh, every other mouse in there. For some reason, she's the only woman only woman mouse in the in the fake UN. No, Africa the mouse is UN. too. Okay, <laughs> you are correct. You are right. But every all the other men act like she's the only woman in there. Yes, like yes. they are catcalling the shit out of her mm. when she walks in. Mm-hmm. It is ridiculous and then like when the chairman is asking like for someone to go with her and they're all like clamoring to be chosen and it's just uh, please sirs drink an ounce of water (laughs) just an ounce that's all we're asking just an ounce just quench your thirst a little (laughs) bit please i beg you but yeah i just i was so disappointed and i still like you know, I like her. She's oh, me fun, too. And but it's still just like movie. Please do more with her. I'm not upset at her. I'm upset at the creators for thinking that for thinking uh-huh. they could fool us into believing Bernard is actually like a capable detective in this situation. Nah, nah, nah. Because the movie doesn't even deign to treat Miss Bianca and Bernard as equals from the get-go, even so far as insinuating Bernard is the better detective, I didn't buy the whole romance plot that the filmmakers were trying to spin. However, Jenna found their odd couple dynamic endearing. But what I like about Bernard and um, Miss Bianca is that Bernard's also the janitor. So you come in and Bernard has to bring in the ladder, which is a comb, um, and he has to climb into this bottle and get this letter out that the little girl who was kidnapped, she um, sent down, she basically sent a message in a bottle. And then Bernard's like doing janitor-ish type things, like climbing up this bottle, getting the message out of the bottle, making sure everybody can read everything. And then like the president or whatever of this cabinet is like, okay, who wants to go on this mission? And immediately Bianca's like, I would like to go. And there's a moment where you think um, like the president's going to be like a little sexist. because He's like, a woman wants to go. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, well, it's a new day and women can now go do the rescuing. And we're like, great. Thank you. I don't know why we couldn't in the first place, but all right. And so he's like well who would you like to go with you and literally like every single man and maybe woman mouse we don't really know if there are any women mouse in this um scene at the moment but like every single mouse man is like i would like to go with miss bianca i will go i volunteer as tribute and we're and and bianca like ignores all of them and is like i want the janitor to come with me (laughs) and i was like yep love that love love that (laughs) Also, a complete, like, a sl- small tangent. Uh, when I was a child, I, one, didn't know what the UN was. Uh, <laughs> but when, like, when the humans all start walking into the UN building, I was like, oh, they're looking at a board. There's announcements in multiple languages over the PA. Uh, and there's people of various and diverse ethnic backgrounds walking around. They're at an airport. They're clearly at an airport. It does give airport vibes. It gives massive airport vibes. Yeah. 
and then, and then I'm like, why? And I'm like, why are y'all having this meeting in an airport? I guess it makes sense. It's easy. It like you don't have to pay for a taxi. Right. I guess. That's so but it's, funny. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a. I watched it this time. I was like, oh, I'm stupid. <laughs> Wait. So it was just now watching it that you realized. Uh-huh. Oh no. Uh-huh. That it was not an airport. No, that no. it was in fact the UN. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I mean, they do go to an airport at some point. They do. So I, they do. I can see. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when they were when they were going through the airport, um, my 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 uh, my fiance turns to me and just goes, "If you saw a little, if you saw two little mouse dressed in clothes carrying suitcases through an airport, what would you do?" And I just said, "I'd mind my business." <laughs> I mean, yeah, and they look important. Yeah, they have somewhere to be. Yeah, and she was, she was like, I'd, I'd, I'd get down there and ask them if I, they needed help or getting where they were going. And I'm like, Nah, they know what they're doing. Aww. If they're, if they're wearing clothes, they know what they're doing. Mind my business. They got it. You got it handled. She would ask the mice though, just to make she sure. She totally would. Oh my gosh, yeah. the queen. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but they're. I like. For me, again, because I hadn't seen this before, the little things like that just I thought were really endearing. I just like, you know, they have their own little airport within an airport. They have their own little uh-huh. UN within the UN. They have like this whole other like existence. I lost, I lost my mind when they were like, we need, let us look at this portrait of our founder, Euripides Mouse. <laughs> and the picture, he's like, eh. And I'm just Thumbs like, up. I cannot. That is the be- that is the best joke in a Disney movie so far. It's so good, just hands down. It was so good. Oh God! See, like so much of this movie is good. Yeah. Like, like even the parts that aren't like entirely tonally consistent up until like the like the end slapstick bullshit at the end. Yeah. Uh, is really good, and it provides nice levity. Like the bit where um. Bernard and Bianca are hiding in the pipe organ. Oh, I loved that. It rules. It was it's great. So clever too. Because and the suspense with that is good too, because they did a good job with the camera angles, like knowing when uh-huh. to focus on which openings and like when to like to shoot to the um to cut to the alligators and everything. And again, and I think yeah. a lot of it works because there's real stakes. Like mice eat I, not mice eat alligators. God. Mice do be eating alligators. They do that. They do that. No, alligators would eat a mouse. They could have died, and if they died, that means Penny would have been stuck there forever. Like you know, you're like there's you have like you care about what's happening on screen here. Yeah. Yeah. No, it like that's another thing that goes along with like the bluthiness of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I, I I keep coming back to like Don Bluth, but that's because Don Bluth is the best, and I love Don Bluth's <laughs> shit. Uh, yes, I know other people worked on this, um, but like, th- like, it really does tangibly feel like shit could go south at any minute for anybody in this movie. Yes. Like when they're about to start drowning in that cove and just are getting their shit rocked by the water, I'm just like, nope, uh, uh-uh, uh, they're not getting out of this. I don't, I don't. Oh, oh, oh okay, good. But oof, it's it's tough going there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about uh, the knockoff Cruella DeVille. Wow, how dare you? <laughs> okay, maybe I mean, not li- knockoff. I mean, I mean, factually, yes, you are correct. Yes, you know what she I mean. She is the Cruella DeVille re- last-minute replacement. Yes. That being said, minus the child labor, child trafficking, and kidnapping charges, her entire vibe is immaculate. <laughs> so for you, what makes her different than Cruella, then? Uh, she has two alligators and a cool steampunk jet ski. <laughs> Done. And also, like, Handled. an exact replica of Cruella's car that she drives in New York. Uh-huh. I, I, didn't, I didn't even notice that. I was writing at that point. But, like, she owns a pawn shop. She's not, like... Like, she's she's out here. She's got that grind set. She got that hustle. <laughs> well, yeah, we see what the diamond is going toward. Right? Like, unlike Corella, where we're like, what's the point of these puppies? Like, what is she doing with these coats? Like, what is the economic purpose? With Medusa, you're like, yeah. 
half off on yeah. half off your loan on diamonds or whatever that's half said. off on tuesdays like that's how it be right this is how it be um yes so again i noticed the car and then i did think it was funny that you know cruella is in the hell hall and medusa's in the devil's devil's bayou. bayou jenna also noticed similarities between cruella and madame medusa again we have a very fiery woman she also is very similar to cruella in the way she moves around like her body so. her body language and the way they like have her interact with like things around her she's very like gangly like one thing about cruella is that she looks she also while she might be mentally ill she also looks physically ill because she looks like very very just twig like and that's kind of similar to how the bad lady looks in the rescuers gotta go look up her name right now but she is also semi skinny but then she has like i don't know like, she's not wearing a bra at any point in this film. But Tara and I liked Medusa better. She is very clearly a palette swap of Cruella. Like, I'm not going to lie. Yes. But also, Medusa's hair is incredible. Oh, it's so fun. It's so good. I want it. It's great. Uh, those eyelashes? Yeah. They're very good. Oh my gosh, when she was taking those off, I felt my stomach lurch. Yeah. I was like, oh... I did, so, again, I haven't seen this since I was young, but I've seen this a lot. Uh, I didn't know fake eyelashes were a thing. <laughs> so I was very scared and confused. <laughs> that she could just take her eyelashes off. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, like, I don't, like, there was, like, a good long while as a kid where when I was bored, I would just start, pull like, pull at my eyelashes and eyelid, and I wouldn't, like, go until it hurt. I would just pull it out and snap it back, pull it out and snap it back. I was a weird child. <laughs> You're like, this looks fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, like, also, what a great villain moment, you know, uh-huh. where she just takes off her eyelashes and then there's that, like, blank rim she's, around her eye. Like, the okay, but the fact that she's doing that while, like, actively threaten, like, like, threatening this child, it is a, com- it is, it is in two senses. Like, she's taking off her makeup while she's having a complete mask off moment with this child. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, yeah. Like, you've seen how terrible she is, but, like, remember, she can be this awful to Penny's face. So, like, in that moment, we do get to actually see, like, the real her and what she's, like, actually capable of doing. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that we see, like, we see that as she's, like, taking off her makeup Mm. and, like, settling down for the night. Um, Because, like, she is, like, speaking out of both sides of her mouth at that point of, like, trying to butter up Penny and she's got like half her makeup off at that point while she's still like uh hyping her up and being like I can only you can do this you like you are essential you 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 good 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 and then penny is like you'll take me back right to the orphanage so I can get adopted and she t- wipes off the rest of it and then says who would ever want a kid like you so it's like she's still got a little bit of that veneer on her while she's hyping up Penny and then takes it all off to just deliver that final fucking stab of just like I mean I'll take you back but no one wants you so you might as well stay here with me she's the fucking worst <laughs> I love her well I was gonna say I feel like a more effective villain Yes. Than Cruella was. Oh, 100%. Because you actually, like, feel... Like, with Cruella, you feel, like, that she's threatening because of how Roger would react to her. Uh-huh. You know, like, the pin straight, like, can't move even after she leaves. You know, not because she's doing anything specifically that's menacing. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, the same in every scene she's with, like, especially because she has her henchmen do all her dirty work. But with Medusa, uh-huh. yeah. she does the dirty work. Yeah, Medusa's like, you know what? I've given you three months, haven't gotten results. I'm getting in there on my Which own. Which is completely we're doing, feasible. We're doing this now. We're doing this now. And she's like, she's got crocodiles that she actively uses. Like, you know what? You know, And she's got Snoop, but like, come on. Look at that man. Fucking Pathetic. Seinfeld side character looking motherfucker. He does look like that character from Seinfeld. Yeah, he looks like Newman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He looks like, he looks like, uh... You know that kid from the you know that movie Barnyard <laughs> with the the CG yes. cows that shitty kid that tries to tip all the cows 
Hold on. I'm looking Converse, it up. Conversely, the superhero from Megamind. Oh my god. Uh-huh. He does. Yeah. <gasps> Just give him some braces. Uh-huh. That is uh -huh. a very good analogy. <laughs> yeah. But that's also the vibe you get, right? You're just kind of yeah. like, okay. Like the like the biggest fail son you could possibly think of just out here diamond hunting and enslaving children. Yes. Like the Nestle Corporation. I mean, you're not wrong. No, I'm not. <laughs> Factually, I'm not wrong. <laughs> My goodness. Tara and I don't get into Medusa's sidekicks all that much, but Jenna mentioned something in her interview that echoed a gripe that we've had when discussing past villains in these movies, the trope of the ineffective sidekick. One thing I, this is something that I do and don't like. So mm -hmm. one thing um, I do like is when we have women in charge bossing around men, right? Love that. So Koala has like two henchmen that are, there and then madame medusa also has technically a henchman who's like supposed to be watching the child what i don't appreciate is how they're bumbling idiots like i do like but i also tell them i love it like because i personally think men are some of the most incompetent creatures on the planet um but like it's sometimes a little annoying when it's like I'm simply here to be dumb. And I'm like, okay, great. I understand the comic relief as like a child. Like, yeah, makes, um, makes me, makes, makes very much sense. But then it also kind of means that like, I'm looking at all the women and they're bad people and bad mm. and like bad things, bad things happen to them because they're bad, but bad things aren't happening to the men because they listen, but because they listen to a woman and no one's paying attention to them. Once you get to Devil's Bayou, this movie fucking lights up. Mm -hmm. This movie, that is a very scary place. Oh, yeah. You never feel comfortable there. Like, I think you feel a little more comfortable when you meet, like, the other animals that live there. But, yeah. like, even, because even they are like, we hate her. <laughs> like, she's terrible. Yeah. I, will, I will say, um, hey, maybe don't promote using moonshine as uh, medicine. Or gasoline. That's, yeah, or get. Well, I don't know. Sometimes you have to make do, and if you don't get, if you don't have any other way to get gasoline, this is a joke. Do not put moonshine in a car. Don't. don't put moonshine in a car. Also, I would like to point out the movie said this was rated G for t tobacco depictions. Said nothing. Nothing, nothing about, about alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. No. God. God forbid. But also, well, also, like, it's not ever like directly addressed. Oh no. It, it, it could just be cough syrup. Who knows? Even that's not great. No. I think this scene in character really hit the mark because it was the one scene that a different guest was able to remember when bringing up the rescuers. Here's Erica. Yeah, I really enjoyed... I enjoyed a lot of the, like, animal movies. Mm -hmm. Like, Aristocats, also. That was a big one when I was little. Um, rescuers love the rescuers delightful i love that the man who just drinks his whiskey and then like <laughs> his eyes go all weird when he like swallows it there's like the little steam cloud it's so good <laughs> i did think it was funny that that was the voice actor from aristocats napoleon the dog yeah. Because he says charge a few times, and I'm like, oh, it's Napoleon. I knew, like, you could tell it almost from the beginning, but I thought, like, on the topic of voice acting, I thought that was a pretty good, like, performance where it's, like, not on the level of Sterling Holloway, but like Sterling Holloway in that, like, he has the same voice, but he can do different things with it. Yeah. I mean, he plays, like, the rural character twice, but it was just different enough that I was like, okay. Yeah, he did. Good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's very good. It's very good. All the. I wonder what you mean. What you meant when you said like the lowest. Like I like, think what is what is your what is your issue with the voice acting? Yes. So here's my problem. Um, I think that 
Bernard and Orville. It wasn't that they were bad. It's just that they weren't as strong as everyone else. And specifically with Bernard, like that performance, as he is like one of the protagonists, just in my opinion, paled compared to Ava Gabor's performance. I think that the actor did a good job conveying like his cautious nature, his timid nature. Um, but there was just like, it was, I think, I don't know why I felt this way, but in my head, it just felt too low energy for a main character. And maybe that was, performance-based maybe that's just the fact that like we talked about bernard is in way over his head and should not be as competent at what he is doing than he is in the movie and so it doesn't make sense um but i just i didn't feel like it like matched the energy level of the movie um and same with orville like i think like He's, like, I think the concept of the character is funny. Like, you know, you have this bird that acts as a plane and takeoffs and landings are, like, extremely difficult. You know, that's, that is funny. And I think, like, the physicality of it is funny. But I just didn't think that the voice acting matched matched what we were seeing. Now, I do think, like, it's more mature in, like, a Bluth way. Um, and so maybe, like, I have, like, other expectations coming into this just like based on other the other disney movies we've seen so far but still at the same time i was just kind of like it wasn't memorable to me and i think that the character in itself is just on paper can be so memorable that it just felt like a missed opportunity i thought everyone else did great but it was just because those were two of like the more main characters that and that's why it like rubbed me the wrong way i mean i guess that's fair enough uh i kind of i really like i i have no opinions on orville one way or the other like i he's fine he's in the movie it's whatever um i think it's really interesting for bernard to have this really understated anxiety because like his type of anxiety is generally played much bigger Mm -hmm. in a lot of media so for him to just kind of be on edge about everything uh like in a low-key understated kind of way i think is really like I think it's important to see that, mm-hmm. uh, that that's a kind of way that like that kind of paranoia, like not quite paranoia, but like anxiety can manifest because he's clearly got some fucking issues he's got to work through. Yes. Uh, it's more than just superstition. That that man is like, that man's got some stuff going on. Yes. That man needs to see a psych. That, that mouse needs to see a mouse psychiatrist. Like, come on, my guy. Please just go up the stairs. Please. Which like I love that. yeah I do love that he's like there's thirteen stairs and she's like skip the last yes one. no I agree and I think like his cautionary dynamic compared with her adventurous dynamic I think that's really cute and I like the idea of it um and I do like those moments I just didn't think and I see what you're saying with like the understated anxiety I it just didn't translate that well for me I mean that's fair. Like, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong on this one, anyways. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. What'd you think of Penny? I thought she worked. Yeah. Um, I think that she was, f- for someone who's been, um, you know, captured and, you know, imprisoned, basically, for th- at least three months she was far more plucky than i was expecting <laughs> toward the end yep, there she is she is a very well balanced pr- product of the uh foster care system. It's really i was like okay um but like you know i think like her but i think with that in mind like they made her character in such a way that like you can't help but like root for her yeah you know no, absolutely um and i think it works for the purposes of the film but like i was kind of surprised like how bold she was like when they're plotting their plan to like yeah with everything happening on like even talking back to the alligators and talking back to snood snood snoop whatever whatever his, name, his is. name is i was like well that's bold you know also showing that they're not really a threat it's really medusa who's uh-huh. a threat um no but i thought she was fine yeah, no, I, I think too, I think my end, my feelings on her are summed up basically on that entire the the like 
the scene where she meets Bernard and Bianca and they show up and she's like, they're like, we're here to rescue you. And she's like, oh, great. Did you bring anyone else? Like the police? <laughs> and I'm just like, this is an extremely logical kid. You are extremely well adjusted for the situation oh, you find yourself in. 100%. Yes. Top tier A plus kid. Yes. Very good. She did a wonderful job. Um, she, yeah, she like, I don't know. She's fine. Uh, I think it's interesting that she's apparently related to Dr. Doolittle. Wait, uh, because, oh, yeah, because uh, she can talk to animals. She can talk to animals, and she's like, yeah, no, my, uh, mice and cats can talk to me. And the reporter at the end is like, okay. <laughs> Hi, Miss Bianca. Hi, Bernard. <laughs> While they're, he's, like, signaling for the camera to like, cut. Uh, get out, get off of this. Get off of this. She's, but, Yeah. Oh, that was it's it's very funny that they they're play they play fast and loose with the talking animals stuff. Yeah. But I wasn't really mad about that. I was like, okay. Oh no, not at all. I, like, I think it, I think it's funny that they acknowledge the fact that like, yeah, she thinks she could talk to animals. Can she really? Who could say? <laughs> no one else can. So no one can tell whether she can or not. Yeah. I was very happy she found a family that looks loving. I just hope that they're loving down the road, you know. There's no indication that they wouldn't be. So you're just going to hope that, like, she had a very nice rest of her childhood. But honestly, yep, like, they talking are, about... They are the Disney signifier of a stable family, meaning white and clearly affluent. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, talking about uh, seeing a th- psychiatrist, Lord, she's going to need therapy. <laughs> yes. God. <laughs> oh. Goodness. But you would never guess it because she's resilient. She's fine. She's a plucky go-getter who loves her teddy bear in America. Who needs who needs mental health? Who oh, doesn't exist? Nope. That's all from us this week. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review. Five stars only, of course. You can find me at play underscore champion on Twitter. And you can find me at Alex underscore Isaac on Twitter. You can also follow the show at Dream Deeper Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can write into the show at dreamalittledeeperpod at gmail.com. Special thanks to all our guests who took the time to talk to us this episode. You can find Sam on Twitter at SamShotFirst. And you can listen to his podcasts, Keanu Believe It, Going Helms Deep, and TFS Assemble on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can hear more from Jenna on her podcast, The Opinionated Podcast. For show updates, follow The Opinionated Podcast underscore on Instagram. And you can follow the adventures of Erica's reptile children at Benny.AndThe.Mans on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in this time. Join us for our next episode when we talk about the fox and the hound. Until then, dream on, silly dreamers.